0: So uh, good morning, today is uh, July 30th, and what that means is 11 years ago today, I married Ruth Ann Savage. Uh, Yes, so in the record of stealing awesome last names from someone, this one is probably the biggest, um, because she went from Ruth Savage, which is awesome, to Ruth Lee, which is not as quite as awesome. Of course. So um, that was 11 years ago uh, today, and um, we actually walked to this song, which is called "The Gravel Road." Actually, we we walked. She walked um, down the aisle. It was an outdoor wedding, so she walked across the grass to this song right here. So you can picture it. The song comes on. The crowd, a hush falls over the crowd. All eyes are on Ruth. She walks with her father across the grass the suspense is building my long orange locks are blowing in the wind (laughs) as she comes to her husband to be all like 110 pounds of me uh, (laughs) 11 years ago Uh, anyway so this song right here is called the gravel road and it's played um, in it's from a soundtrack Um, anyone name that movie the village exactly an old M. Night Shyamalan movie called the village which is in my top five movies to be honest. Uh, so, but here's the thing. No, this, this is Jake's comment. Jake's comment is it shouldn't be. Uh, but here's the thing. It's in my top five, and I think it's an amazing movie if you watch it right. If you watch it right. And that's enough of the song. Uh, Ruth's going to start crying if you keep playing it. So, uh, It's an amazing movie if you watch it right. If you watch it as a horror or a suspense or anything like that, it's one of the dumbest movies in the world, if you watch it correctly, Jake, and you watch it and you watch it as a love story, as a love story between Lucius and Ivy. It, top five, maybe top two. Uh, you know, what I'm talking about Braveheart, The Village. That's it. Might be happening. It's an amazing movie. Uh, the same is true. Watch this leap. The same is true. And the book we're about to study, the book of Ruth, an amazing, amazing love story, but you have to watch it right. You have to read it right. No matter what way you read it, it's it's great and it's awesome. That's not the point I'm making. What I'm actually going to, the point I'm going to make about the book of Ruth, and we're going to do a series, a three week series on the book of Ruth, is there is a great temptation when you read the book of Ruth to actually read it incorrectly. And a lot of people, I think, would just reduce it down to this really kind of cool love story between Ruth and a guy named Boaz. Um, and as great as that is, it's a really fun you know, way that Ruth actually does get to marry Boaz, and it's a, a really fun kind of love story. If you reduce it just down to that and the fact that Ruth is amazing and Boaz is amazing and they get married and so you should be like Ruth and you should be like Boaz and stuff like that, you're actually missing the, the whole point, I think, of the story of Ruth. In fact, if you ever read the Old Testament and that's what you're reducing it down to is look at these characters, be like them, you are, you are looking at the Old Testament in the wrong way. The point and what's going on in the book of Ruth, and we'll unpack this over the next couple of weeks Is not so much about the love story between Ruth and Boaz, it's more so about the love story between God and people and how they have walked away from, or people have walked away from God, and it's the story about how God brings people back. And the story is told through a really cool love story between Ruth and Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. So that's um, how the story goes. So to kick it off, we'll read the first five verses, and actually, I better have my wife, Ruth. Read it, because the series is named after her. So, Ruth 1, 1 through 5, right here.
1: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Milan and Chilean died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband.
0: That was really good reading. There were some uh, hard words in there. <laughs> Thank you, wife of eleven years uh, so Let's start with some context. So that's the beginning of the story of Ruth. Ruth is only four chapters long. If you don't know where it is in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. I actually always forget where all the books of the Old Testament are. The way I remember that one is Joshua judges Ruth, Samuel. I don't know. It's like this weird phrase in my head. That's the order of the books. It's like if I'm talking to Samuel, I'm telling him, Joshua judges Ruth, Samuel. And that's actually the order it is, and that's how I find it. So if that's helpful to you, good. If not, let's move on. Uh, So starting with some context, verse one, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, uh, there was a famine in the land. So when was that? So if you think of the timeline of the Old Testament, back in kids' church and you're hearing all the stories and all that stuff, um, there was Moses And he, uh, with God's help, rescued the people from Egypt. And then after Moses comes Joshua. He becomes the leader of God's people. And then they enter the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And that's um, the crazy story of Joshua and and, uh, basically conquest into the promised land. After Joshua dies, there is this 400-year span where it's literally when the judges ruled where there was no clear leader in Israel or in Judah. There was no clear king, and it was from about the year 1400 B.C. to 1000 B.C. So this um, time frame is when the book of Ruth happened. Um, So if if you're reading the book of Judges, the book of Ruth is actually happening quietly in the background, and it's never mentioned. It's almost an afterthought. It's its own little book that comes after the book of Judges. So what was it like during the time when the judges ruled if you're in your bible and you're in ruth chapter one and you go back just one page you'll be at the last verse of the book of judges and this is what it says judges twenty-one twenty-five. in those days the time of the judges there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes that was the name of the day for 400 years That is not a thing, that's not trying to say that it was a great, peaceful time in Israel or that it was like a very godly time where people were focused on, you know, God and his ways. What that verse is saying is it was actually a godless time. Um, There were pockets of people who would be faithful in things, but basically it was a roller coaster that was on repeat. So the the people of God would rebel as a country. I mean, everybody would basically rebel against God. They would reject all authority. Anyone who was a priest or anything like that would be like, meh. And they would go their own way, and their lives looked exactly like the, the neighboring countries. They would worship all of these other gods, all these false gods, these idols, all this stuff. And what would happen over and over and over again, is in his mercy, God would judge them. And he would bring these crazy circumstances and wars and famines and all these things to wake them up, to shake them out of their rebellion against him. So they would, they would rebel. God would like implode their world. Another country would come do, you know, take over, whatever it would be. And then finally they would repent. They would, there would be like this movement of God. The people would say, we've done wrong. We're returning to God. And he would bring about a, a judge. Someone who would come in, usually it would be like some sort of military victory. Um, They would be uh, delivered from their enemies, and then the roller coaster would start over again, and they would rebel against God, and the whole thing would start over and over. So the stories about Gideon and Samson and Deborah and all these amazing things, um, that is the time of Judges. And in this case, in in the book of Ruth, it says, and in that time, there was a famine in the land, which is just part of that roller coaster uh, that they were that they were on. So in that context, if we keep going, it says, a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. So there's the word, the the city they're from, Bethlehem. Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. So automatically we should be going, okay, this is a small story in the Old Testament, but it sounds like in the larger story of the Bible, this actually might have some significance here. So in the little town of Bethlehem, something's going on. If you thought that to yourself, you are absolutely right because it has ripples that go all the way to the days of Jesus. It's amazing. Um, Bethlehem means, the actual meaning of the word is the house of bread. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This family that lives in a town called house of bread finds that there is, in fact... Absolutely no bread. So what they do is they sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab is, if you're looking at a map, it would be about 40 miles southeast of where they're at in Bethlehem. So it's almost like us compared to, what would that be, like Maple Valley or Kent, east side of Kent or something like that. So as far as context goes, that's where they went. They sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... The name of the man was Elimelech, or something like that, Uh, which means God is king. That's the meaning of his name. God is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, which means sweet, pretty sweet name. Uh, And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, or something like that again. And the names of their sons actually meant sick and dying. No joke. So you've got Elimelech, God is my king. That's a pretty good proclamation. You've got Naomi. God is sweet, or sweet. Uh, That's that's great. And they named their two sons sick and dying. This kind of gives you a glimpse of the world they lived in. This was the time of the judges. There was a famine, and even their two sons, as they were birthing them, they knew that the fate of their two sons was in this context of just extreme struggle. Something, like if we were watching a movie, we'd be about, what, six minutes in right now, and we would see that they have moved to this country called Moab. They've named their sons Sick and Dying, and we'd be like, ooh, this is gonna be a long, dusty road um, in this movie for this, um, for this family. So it says they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. So, so here we're at in Ruth 1. It's zoomed in on one little family, and they decide that they're better off moving away from God to go to some other country where the, gods name, the false god's name was Kemosh. They decide they're better off turning their backs away from God and his people and they're going to take their own road and they're going to go to a new place and try to start um, fresh. So it says, they went into the country of Moab and they remained there, which is kind of a play on words. At first it said they went there to sojourn, which kind of means like to pass through, right? But now it says, they remained there. That's how it works actually in life. Like you have these intentions, oh it's only going to be for six months or it's only going to be for a year. Yeah, it's not really the right thing to do or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you find yourself two years later remaining in that place. But anyway, verse three. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons sick and dying. Uh, so already she's in kind of a rough place. She's removed from her people. She's removed from all these different things. She's in a foreign country, and all she has is her sons, but there actually is a glimmer of hope in that um, at at this point in the story. If a a wife's husband died in that day, that was devastation for a wife. That left very little hope for them unless they had sons because sons could take care of them in that day. So there was still hope in the story, Uh, and then it says... They remained there, Uh, he died, she was left with her two sons, and then verse 4, and these, the sons, took Moabite wives. So if if we were Israelites, and we were reading this story, and we were educated in the Old Testament like they were, especially back then, we would hear that phrase, and they took Moabite wives, and we would be appalled. For us today, we read, and they took Moabite wives, and we're like, "Hmm, okay, interesting, I wonder what Moabites are like. Uh, that's basically all it does to our minds. But back then, that would go directly against all sorts of stuff. But one example, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, it says, essentially it says, you will not take wives from the foreign countries around you. Why? Because they will lead you to worship other gods. So the, the directions that they receive in the, in the book are super clear. You are not to marry them. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says you're not even to have mercy on them, the people around, the the other countries, because God was forming a country for himself that was separate, that was holy. So when it says, and they took Moabite wives, there should be a gasp in the crowd. They did what? Um, That's the sort of reaction that would have happened if we had that same um, background. So this family is basically walking further and further away from God. First, I don't know how it went. It doesn't say. In fact, that's one of the the craziest things about the book is it says all this stuff, and it never pauses to give you a value statement. Like, they did this, and that was wrong because one, two, and three. It just lists the facts. They moved there, they took Moabite wives, and then it just keeps on plowing forward um, in the story. Uh, but the thing I can imagine happening is them sitting there saying, this place, there's a famine in Bethlehem. Everyone is starving. We're all hungry. God seems to have left. He seems to be just totally absent. So let's just try something else. And they probably even thought to themselves, just because we moved to Moab doesn't mean we have to stop worshiping God. It would mean we have to stop worshiping Yahweh. So maybe they even like explained it away, and they decided to move away. And all of a sudden they're in uh, Moab, and they're just doing their best. They're trying to make it happen, and then Naomi dies, and she's like, well, gosh, just because we're surrounded by Moabites, just because I'm going to give my sons to Moabite wives doesn't mean I can't still worship Yahweh. I can't, the statements that we make today are things like, I can't imagine that God would want me to just sit here and be alone, or my sons to be alone. And, you know, They probably came up with these, these ideas and thoughts to make it okay to be where they were at. So, they keep Making these decisions to move away from God, little step at a time, and their plan keeps falling apart, and Naomi's world is falling in around her. So they took Moabite wives. We'll keep going in the story. It says, "The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth." That's a beautiful name. Um, <laughs> they lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died. They've been sick and dying for a long time now, for their entire life, actually. Uh, So the the story holds true, and they died. So that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and without her husband. So Elimelech and Naomi's plans have absolutely crumbled. I don't even have, like I was trying to think, have I ever experienced anything in life that is even near, like the epic scale? This is like a huge dramatic story. i don't even have anything in my life where I could stand in front of you and say, "And I can relate one time this happened i just I've lived a life where I, it's just it just doesn't happen I've had like little glimpses of things where I just feel like everything is going wrong. It's usually like condensed down to a week or a day or things like that uh, so on the if you take this massive thing and then you reduce it down to a just Bob version one day thing. One time, Ruth and I were uh, we we went down to Oregon for my grandpa's 70th birthday or something like that. Grandpa Bob, because we have like 82 Bobs in my family, Um, so it was one of the grandpa's Bobs' uh, his birthday. So we drive down. It's like it's supposed to be a four and a half hour drive. We're in our junky minivan, and it ends up taking like seven and a half hours because of Chehalis and all this stuff. Um so we finally get down there we have a great time he's blessed by it and stuff and the next morning we're going to drive all the way back up it's not just Ruth and I it's also our three kids by the way uh or two at the time however many kids we had um so we start the trek back home and i think it's a sunday afternoon going from Eugene Oregon all the way back to Mill Creek Washington and Shahelus was even worse this time so uh, uh I was driving this, you know, minivan, the kids are going crazy in the back, we're sitting in this traffic jam surrounded by cows, it makes no sense, we're not in a city, so I'm just going crazy with, uh, with what's going on in the van, and then we stop for dinner, it's too expensive, we don't have any money anyway, so I'm just like, why did we stop for dinner and all this stuff, uh, hours later, it's days later it feels like, <laughs> we finally roll in, it's night, I think it's like 14 hours in or something, probably not that long. And uh, we're literally a quarter mile from home, and we're sitting at a stoplight, and I am almost laughing in rage, almost like the Joker on Batman, like I'm going crazy, and, uh, and the transmission blows out of our minivan. And it was finally in that moment where I was like, all you can do right now is laugh. Because as soon as that happens, I don't know what happened to my daughter in the back. She has a nightmare or something and freaks out as if our van is on fire. So we've got screaming, wailing in the back. I'm laughing. We're sitting there with traffic all behind us and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> because my world seems to be imploding and I'm only a quarter mile away from home. And yet, as in, in that day, as stressful as that was and as... Even right now, it's making my heart beat faster. That is such a small, small thing compared to moving to another country where you know nobody and your husband dies, your sons die, and you're left there with your daughters-in-law who in that day, in that situation, that basically leaves you absolutely hopeless. I was sitting there without a crappy minivan. She was sitting there without anything, any way of getting income and all that stuff. So they are in this uh, extremely, extremely tough spot. And so the story starts to turn a little bit. It says in, we'll go through verses six through nine. So this is what it says in verse six. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab back to uh, Bethlehem. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So there's a little glimmer of hope. So she sets out from that place, She set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So basically, Naomi says... I can't take this, this has got nothing for me, but I've heard that there's there's hope back home. So she turns and she starts walking back towards home and her daughters-in-law start following her. And at first it seems like everything, she's going with it, but then it says she stops and she says, no, actually this is a bad plan. I am going home, but there is nothing there for me. I have no idea what I'm going back to. You are better off going back to your homes and to your own gods, is essentially what she's saying. This is like reverse evangelization, right? She's basically saying, yeah, I'm going back home, and I'm going to Yahweh, that God, but you're better off with your gods. So Naomi is in like a rough, rough spot right now. Because in this moment, she could go one of two different ways, and it's the same for us. When you're in this sort of situation where things have imploded, whether it's on a large scale or on a small scale, things have imploded, you can think to yourself, well, there is always hope with the God that I serve. And she could have said, yes, come with me. We're going home. Everything looks bleak. But you know what? With the God I serve, there is always hope. There is always hope, and I refuse to to believe that that everything is hopeless. She could have taken that path and walked back home with the two daughters-in-law. Or you can take the path where you say, Everyone around me, stay away because for some reason, the Lord is just against me and you're better off serving the gods that you have served in the past. You're better off just doing your own thing, finding your own way, and you just kind of truck on and, and go on your own path. Naomi was in such a place where she chose that one, just stay away from me. But in verse 13, uh, they, they kind of argue with her and then in verse 13, she says, no, my daughter's it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's sort of a play on words because her name means sweet. So when she says, to me, it is bitter that the Lord has gone out against me, uh, what she's saying is, ah, "It's ah, my, my path with God is not sweet. I do not see him as sweet. In fact, I see him as bitter. This whole thing is just bitter. So her faith has boiled down to one idea. God is has gone out against me. God is against me. I'm going to come back to that. We're going to kind of spend a couple minutes on that, but I'm going to, because Orpah, whose name is actually, it means gazelle, um, Orpah has taken off. She's taken Naomi's advice. She's gone back to her mother, and, but Ruth, it says, is still clinging to her. So Naomi turns to Ruth and says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, and this is like Ruth's Famous line. It's repeated at weddings. It's repeated all sorts of coffee mugs everywhere. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, may Yahweh Himself do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The reason this vert, this statement that she's making is so amazing is she is essentially assigning herself for the rest of her life to poverty, to being single, to being childless, and to basically clinging on to Naomi as long as she's going to live, and then saying, and even after you die and you're gone, wherever we were, I'm going to stay there and I'm going to serve the God that you serve in that time, to go back with Naomi would be to accept a fate where you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. So this is an amazing, amazing, amazing act of love from Ruth uh, to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, She's casting herself, in a way, she's casting herself on Naomi, but she's actually casting herself on God himself. Because when she says, may God judge me if I don't do what I'm saying, she's essentially saying, I'm going and I'm serving the God that I've heard about through you and I know is with your people. So even in like this dark, dark story, there's this really bright, glowing glimmer of faith that's happening. And I think that's one of the main points um, of the story. So it says, when Naomi saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more. They had about 40 miles to walk, so that must have been an awkward walk. And then in verse 19, it says, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? You gotta think, this is more than 10 years later. Um, And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Do not call me sweet for, uh, or call me Mara. Call me bitter because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me sweet when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she, she's saying, I went away full. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me and he has brought me back empty. So this is what I want to spend just a couple minutes on. This is how life happens. Okay, so things, life has a tendency to pummel us. And for some of us, most of life is really, really good, and the things that do pummel us are actually fairly small. Sometimes that's just the life we live. For others of us, we feel like it's just a constant beating. Every day, it just feels like life is hammering us. And what happens is, uh, I think it's something that we all have in common, is we start to hear these phrases related with how life is pummeling us in our own way and in our own situation. So for her, she must have had her husband died, and she must have had just this thought like, oh, God is, it seems like God is against me. But what, what happens for us is we, we fight that at first, and we say, no, we, no way, and we try to remain faithful to it, and we say, no, that's not true. Look at everything that's good, good that's happening for us. We know the whole story, so we think to ourselves, no, I know Jesus loves me. He came, he died on that cross, and all this good stuff. We tell ourselves the gospel, and that's a really healthy thing, but life continues to pummel us, and these phrases play in our mind. Things like, the Lord is dealing bitterly with me. The Lord is against, the Lord has gone out against me. For things in our day, it's things like, I'm never enough, or uh, it could be a thousand things. It could be not just about God. It could be about other people that are important to you, like she doesn't love me, or uh, she never trusts me, or he He's always doing this. Like, they're just these little phrases. I bet if you took a second to think about it, you could think of the phrases that have played in that video or that that tape that's running in your mind all the time. You could probably name the phrases that you've heard in those dark moments, and you could probably think of times where you were disagreeing with those phrases, saying, no, that's not true, um, and, and you've tried to move by. For me, the phrase that's always pounded me since I was a little kid is, see, it literally sounds like this, see, you're alone. You are walking through life alone. And it will play, and for, you know, for plenty of times, I've been like, no, I'm not alone. Like, just, and you just try to deal with it, and you try to medicate it, or you try to brush past it, or things like that, and then something would happen. My parents aren't together. Well, guess what? It's because God has this path for you. You are alone. And there's like even phrases, I would try to medicate the phrase itself by saying, yeah, I'm like the lone wolf that's the life I got to live, I could do that. And I would try to like hold myself up under that weight. There are these phrases that happen and it just hits us and hits us and hits us like it's doing to Naomi. And then eventually what you do, and I know all of us have done this, is you let your guard down. And there just comes a point where you say, yeah, it's true. I'm alone. I'm always going to be alone. And then you just try to figure out where to go from there. It seems like in this case, this family said, we've tried to feed our family. It's a famine for everybody. God's gone. He's gone from Israel. And eventually they agreed with it and just said, yeah, God's gone. Let's go to Moab. Maybe Chemosh or whoever that God is, maybe he can answer this. Then they get hit more. And Naomi's thinking to herself, I think God's against me. I think he's actually against me. And she probably fought it at the beginning, and eventually she just says, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's gone. God is against me. And you can see as she walks into town, it's such a core conviction to her that she even like, it sounds like on the streets are telling the people, no, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. That's who I am. When you make this agreement with this statement that's playing in your mind, the New Testament has a name for it. It's called a foothold. It's something that you give this power in your life to. And it literally, I think, has authority over you when you agree with it. When you say yes, God is gone or God's against me or a thousand different things that you might be the way it plays in your mind. It becomes a foothold in your life and it takes literally the power of Jesus to break that lie in your life. And it takes him coming in with truth to say, God has not left you alone. He has been with you the entire time and he actually loves you so much that here's an example. He sent his son that he died on the cross to bear your weight and all these different things that are better and more true than the lie that you um, believe. The story that's happening to Naomi is actually, I think, a similar story that happens to all of us. Life hammers you. If we were to take a moment, or if we were able, I should say, to go back in time, and I know we haven't talked about the whole story. You might not know the whole story of Ruth yet, but it gets better. It gets way better. If we could go back in time and we could walk with Naomi down that road as she's telling everyone, how bitter uh, it is to, that God has dealt with her, I was trying to think to myself, what would I tell her? Knowing what I know today, what would I tell Naomi? And I think I would say at least, at least the, these three things. And they're the exact same things that I would want you to know and I would want you to, to internalize and walk away with. Um, and they are, first off, if I were walking with her, I would just have a whole bunch of empathy and just... Just to, just to say, you actually, in a way, in a very small way, you are, you're actually right, Naomi. In a very small way, you're actually right. Your story is really, really, really hard. I'm not going to discount that. And I would want to say the same thing to you. Your story is really, really hard. Christians like to glamorize it and like to like, fluff it up and put sparkles and bedazzles on it, stuff like that your story might be really, really hard even as you walk with Jesus faithfully. He might walk you down that path. So like don't don't try to separate yourself from that reality. Walking with Jesus is often very bittersweet. And that's the thing I would want to tell her is life with God is often bittersweet. There are times of bitterness. There are times of sweetness. Most of the time life is just a jungled up, tangled up mess of both. There are sweet things, there are, there are bitter things, and that is okay. It does not make any um, judgments about how God actually thinks about you. It's just the way that life is. That's the story that happens over and over and over again as you read Scripture and as you read about God. So that's the first thing I'd say is you're right, your story is hard, let's not discount that. The second thing would be but your story is actually heading somewhere. The, like underlying thread throughout the book of Ruth is God is still at work. As all that garbage happened to you in your life, it was not that God was against you. It was actually the fact that God was at work. He was making all of this happen because he is telling a a larger story. He's still at work. And you've got to, in the midst of that bitterness, you've got to trust him. You have got to trust him and keep, keep walking, essentially. And then the third thing I would say is don't discount the small mercies along the way. Did, <laughs> she, she got back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because she heard there was food, and she's telling everyone, the Lord has brought me back empty. Let's start with the first part of that phrase. The Lord has brought me back. That's a small mercy. Okay, she's there, so there's, there's something good there. And then she says, she, the, the Lord has brought me back empty. All the while, if it's a cloudy day, there's probably a break in the clouds. There's like this beam of sunshine probably shining down on this person standing next to Naomi, whose name is Ruth. The Lord has brought me back empty. And you probably hear angels singing in the background, oh, and there's sunshine shining on Ruth. And what I would tell Naomi is, the Lord has brought you back empty. The Lord has brought you back with Ruth who just stood on the road with you and said things like where you go I'm going where you die I am dying your god is my god all these amazing things the lord hasn't brought you back empty the lord's brought you back with Ruth and she's awesome like I want to marry someone named Ruth like it's really really good so don't discount the small mercies along the way and if she would get a hold of that stuff and she cuz she doesn't know the rest of the story she doesn't know spoiler alert that through this hard time, God was going to get Ruth to bring Ruth back to Israel, and then just a few generations later, through the line of Ruth, King David would be born, and then through that genealogy, Jesus would be born. She doesn't know that God is actually doing this crazy story in his bittersweet providence to bring Ruth back to Israel in order to do this amazing thing that ultimately ends up with Jesus being born in that lineage, and then he comes to rescue the entire the, the the whole race. She has no idea that that's happening, but we know the whole story. So the same thing needs to be told amongst ourselves to ourselves. The truth. The same sorts of truth need to be like preached to ourselves. That yeah, your life is hard, but God is still at work. And don't discount the small mercies along the way. You just need to keep going, walking with Jesus, and you just need to keep trusting. That's what I think Ruth chapter one um, talks about. And we're going to get into even more. But here's the last verse. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And that's where the story will launch for the next couple weeks. So with that, I would love to pray.